0: But what I've kind of noticed and seeing amongst a whole bunch of different founders of businesses is that around three months into it, this big wall kind of hits you that says, hey, you've actually got to deliver this result. And if you don't, you know, it's not going to end well. And usually, you know, you kind of project forward and you're like, oh, geez, we're going to have to build like a million dollars of revenue. And in our first you know, three months, we're at, you know, $500 of revenue a week or mm-hmm. something like that. And you're just like, oh my God, there's this, huge thing ahead of me that I've gotta that I gotta go and solve and that's really daunting and can definitely psych you out. Have you
1: ever thought about what it truly means to live a successful and fulfilled life stress free? My name is Tommy Bowie. Follow me as I deep dive into the minds of successful entrepreneurs and industry professionals on the tools, tips and strategies they use to overcome stress in their daily lives, especially when the stakes are high and the going gets tough. This Is the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast. Hello, my stressless entrepreneurs. Welcome back to another Launch Week episode. Today's guest is co founder and CEO of Airtasker, a local services marketplace with a mission to empower people to realize the full value of their skills. Founded in Sydney in 2012. Airtasker recently launched in London and Ireland with an aim of improving the future of work across the globe. He is also a co-founder and director of Tankstream Labs, a Sydney-based technology co-working space, director of Joe Button, and founder of Circuit Club. Before diving into startups, he worked as a corporate advisor and investment banker executive at Macquarie Bank and was a founding team member at mobile telco startup Amazing. He is from Sydney holds a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of New South Wales and received the UNSW Alumni Award in 2016. He is actively involved in Sydney's startup community and has a lifelong passion for Formula One. Okay, Tim, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be part of the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast's launch week.
0: Great, thanks for having me.
1: Tim, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show today was because you are both the co-founder and CEO of AirTasker. So you've gone through the journey that is the startup roller coaster, And so I wanted to get some insight on how you've tackled some of those challenges and successes. But before we talk about... I'm
0: definitely, uh, definitely still on the roller coaster.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, well, that's, that's great. So before we get to that discussion, can you tell the listeners just a bit about yourself and how you got into the industry?
0: Sure. So yeah, I'm the, currently the co-founder and the CEO here at Airtasker. My background is that I came out of a marketing degree at university, ended up through um, my degree was in uh, marketing and hospitality, joining uh, the golf and leisure division at Macquarie, uh, Macquarie Bank and uh, somehow found my way over about five years doing investment banking and corporate advisory I left there in 2009, joined a a modeling agency called Chic Management, doing talent representation for supermodels and then things like that. And that gave me the opportunity to uh, meet an entrepreneur who is one of the co-owners of the agency. He allowed me to work with him on a startup called Amazim, which is a mobile SIM card business. So it was a great experience in raising money, hiring around 200 people. And eventually that company went on to, to IPO in 2015. And then one of my co-workers and and university friends, Jono and I, were were talking about Airtasker and we launched the company together in 2012. That's the start of of our journey.
1: And with Airtasker, was there a, a turning point where you guys thought it's quite serious, we need to kind of push this forward?
0: Yeah, so I guess Jono and I were, were mates in in uni, and you know I introduced him to the amazing business where he joined, and and after that business kind of got into a stable place. We used to spend a lot of time, you know, just hanging out uh, in the kitchen talking about our new ideas. And actually, Airtasker wasn't the first idea that we had. We had another idea that we were initially pursuing, and I'm very thankful that we didn't go ahead with that idea because you know it was it was very um, it wasn't an idea that where the, the value of the company really resonated with me, like really deeply. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad we didn't go ahead with that idea. But when we had the idea to start Airtasker, we really had a lot of conviction around this idea. And so, you know, almost in the beginning, it was pretty serious. You know, we quit our jobs, we raised a round of funding, you know, we, we were committed to it from the beginning. So I guess it's always been something that we, we knew that building a marketplace was, you know, really around going hard or not going at all.
1: Yep. And let's talk more about Airtasker. Are you able to describe To our listeners, just what is it and its vision?
0: Sure. So Airtask is a marketplace and uh, we connect people who need work done together with people who want to work on our platform to, to earn money. Our mission at Airtask is to empower people to realize the full value of their skills. What we mean by that is that we want to create jobs, we want to create income, and we want to create purpose for people who work on our platform. And we want to do that on a global scale whilst having a positive impact on the future of work. So yeah, at Airtasker, it's a pretty simple platform. Our, our starting business is that, you know, you post a task, people will make offers on that task. You'll pick people based on their reputation and their ratings on the platform and a little bit of our, our secret sauce there uh, in terms of how, we, how we're scoring uh, the quality of work. And then, uh, you know, we provide the system to pay pay for that task, provide insurance on that task. And over time, we've um, started releasing uh, new product models, which make that method of finding people and, and getting your work done simpler and easier.
1: And it seems as though the concept or the platform relies on trust built within it. How has Airtasker managed to tackle that issue of trust
0: yeah. So I think one of the, the starting points for the thesis behind Airtasker was that people overestimate, you know, the value of some of these service brands that are out there and people place, I guess, have a lot of distrust for for people in their community generally. And so what we hypothesize with Airtasker is if we could just create a really simple way to create transparency and accountability, you would actually be able to have really high quality service without having to like. Uh, interview every person and police check every person and do these sort of manual and quite arbitrary, frankly, systems for determining trust. So we kind of started out with just purely accountability and transparency. And that was how we built an initial community of users who, who wanted to create that content and build ratings and reviews on that. And so that's sort of how we moved from that first phase of just accountability and transparency to a second phase, which was all about ratings and reviews. Uh, But now we're really in a third phase where we're using advanced data science and machine learning to actually be able to create even more uh, transparent scoring on things like reliability and the quality of work. Um, So really, it's been a three-phase journey to get to where we are now.
1: Yeah, it's great that you mentioned a third phase because I know that business models like Amazon and Uber, in terms of the star rating system, there are loopholes that some businesses do try to, to use and not necessarily the most ethical way to do it. But yeah, it's great to hear that third phase with machine learning.
0: I think ratings and reviews does take you a long way. Like if you kind of start from a base of zero, yep. definitely it's a huge step forward having um, you know a very simple you know feedback loop, but you're absolutely right. At at scale, starts to create some problems, and I think that's where you know you can really use that helicopter view of the data across the entire community to create layers of additional data products that create better transparency and I guess more intuitive ways of being able to separate who's good and and who's not so good.
1: Yeah, you mentioned scale there for a second. Airtasker, is it still going through its growth phase? And is there a theme for some of the challenges that are coming up with the scaling and the growth?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's so interesting when you kind of think about these, you know, these steep growth curves. And one of the things that we've noticed with our business is that, or with any um, startup really, is that when you see a company that just looks like it's just on this massive growth trajectory, it's usually not one idea that's just propelling you through that entire growth trajectory. It's actually the sum of a lot of smaller S curves uh, mm-hmm. that are happening, and when we think about it, Oscar, we kind of think about you know the first S curve that we built, which was really all about addressing this long tail of services that couldn't be done on any other platform. Then we think about our second S curve, which was really if we aggregate enough of those you know long tail transactions, then we were able to build a network effect. Our third S curve was really all about building the Airtasker brand and you know we did that in a partnership with Seven West Media but also just by you know really amplifying some of the stories on the platform. And so for sure where we are is we like have to keep innovating to keep producing these next S curves of growth. So the fantastic thing about working in a network effect business is that you generally do get some degree of compounding growth, which just continues to compound as the density of the network improves. and I guess the defensibility of the network improves as well. But uh, certainly we're looking for what our next S-curves of growth are. And, and for me, there are two main things that we're looking at at the moment. One of them is our international strategy. So we've mm-hmm. started scaling into the U.K., and into ireland as well both on slightly different growth strategies but both of which are starting to get traction and and growth the second major vector of growth that we have is iterating on what i mentioned before which are our new business models so you know the initial um, what we call airtasker classic was a great service for this long tail of jobs but wasn't great for very standardized jobs so one thing that we always noticed is like, yeah, Airtask is fantastic if you want someone to clean your windows or if you want someone to just clean your garage or just clean your roof or something like that. But if you just wanted like a standard two-bedroom apartment clean and you wanted that done on a fortnightly basis, Airtask, a classic, was not the best way of doing that. In fact, it was quite annoying because, you know, you'd post your task, you'd find someone to do your job, but then there was no way of actually rebooking that person or, or creating any kind of ongoing relationship with them. And so an example of one of the new business models that we've built is subscriptions. And so, for example, with cleaning on Airtasker, uh, you can now book a subscription. And uh, we've also made that easier by developing a product that we call instant booking. So rather than having to you know post a task, wait for quotes, pick the person for the job and then go through with it. With Airtasker instant booking, you can actually just come to our service, pick a standard service, buy it, and then get instantly connected with a Tasker of high quality on the other side. So definitely to address new markets and produce those next S-curves of growth, you've got to just keep innovating on on the product and also the markets that you're addressing.
1: And it seems as though the Airtasker platform brings along very common themes or tasks. I think I read a stat somewhere that you said Roughly 40% of the tasks don't really sit within a general category. And, you know, there's a category called something else. Is that still an occurrence or has that since moved on?
0: Yeah. So it's really interesting because there's actually two frames that you can make the categorization. One way of categorizing is if you're actually looking to stuff as many tasks as you can into certain categories, in which case you take things like roof cleaning, car cleaning, window cleaning, and hard drive cleaning, and you put them all into the cleaning category. And if you do that, then what you end up with is it looks like there's actually a few categories which make up a lot of the services on our platform because you push them all into cleaning. Now, if you take another slightly different lens on that and you're coming up from the other direction, which is how much on Airtasker can actually be done as like a simple residential house cleaning, that's a much, much smaller lens. Yep. And actually, about by that definition, only a small number of jobs on Airtasker would fit into that definition of regular, fortnightly two-bedroom apartment clean. And so I guess uh, why we're so excited about instant booking and instant booking subscriptions is that it allows us to really address these certain standardized markets much more deeply. Whereas what we're doing now is actually being much more broad. And so covering a lot of categories, but without the depth. And we're excited about exploring how we become specialists in each of these uh, service categories now.
1: Yeah. And where would you kind of set the limits or boundaries for taskings and are you able to name some of the most interesting tasks that have come through Airtasker?
0: Yeah, for sure. So we do have a, a set of marketplace guidelines now and, and I'm happy to, I guess, quickly address some of the things that are in there. Most of the things that are in there, are we don't allow anything that's criminal or against the law. And that's not just sort of like don't beat people up, but it's also um, don't uh, we don't allow certain alcohol deliveries after certain periods of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't allow things that are related to gambling or prostitution or any of these kind of things that we just don't want in our marketplace. So there's a combination of just the law and, and the culture that we want to have in the tasker. Community. But uh, other than that, we really want to leave it to the community to be creative in how they use the platform. Mm-hmm. So rather than saying what we do, do, we say a lot of what we don't do in our marketplace guidelines, which really allows it to be a super flexible platform where people are creating jobs out of nothing, you know, jobs out of that were not traditionally synthesized as jobs. And that's really, really an exciting thing because that's really where the whole upside comes from building a community with a network effect is that suddenly. People can actually make use of skills, which maybe before they wouldn't have been able to find a customer for. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we get people on the platform who make money out of knitting jumpers or making fancy Halloween costumes or being really good at uh, flying drones or repairing drones or maybe getting a drone that's stuck out of a tree down. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of these things that wouldn't become like traditional supply side related jobs, or supply-driven jobs can become meaningful work for people on Airtasker.
1: Let's take a step back and look at the key challenges that come with you being the CEO of Airtasker from, I guess, from concept stage to present moment. Are you able to quickly go through the stresses or the pressures of that journey and where you see yourself as a person now compared to when you first started in 2012?
0: Yeah, for sure. So in the early days of Airtasker, you know, there's definitely a high degree of pressure because you haven't really built a, a business that's self-sustaining in any way. And actually, you know, you're just sort of spending money and you're effectively like running a really, really expensive experiment. And there's definitely a high degree of pressure, especially since we had raised money early on. There's a huge amount of pressure to just deliver results out of those experiments and to be, you know, it's a really hard environment because when you're running experiments, it's actually quite the opposite of getting results. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know the frameworks for doing those two things are kind of not are completely aligned. So it was super challenging. And most of it was around being able to make sure that you hit the target to be able to raise your next round of funding and just be able to keep playing the game that you turned up to play. So that was really, really challenging. And I guess as the CEO and and, and co-founder of the company, I guess you feel quite alone in playing that game because everybody else has a slightly different scenario to you. Mm -hmm. You're kind of there to catch any ball that isn't being caught by somebody else is something that you need to catch. So that was definitely really stressful. I think one of the things that I noticed there is that you know, before you start a startup, it's really, really exciting. You're so excited about your idea. When you launch your startup and, you know, for a few months after launching, everything's exciting, everything's a win, and you've got a lot of adrenaline running through you to um, to be excited about. But what I've kind of noticed and seeing amongst a whole bunch of different founders of businesses is that around three months into it, this big wall kind of hits you that says, hey, you've actually got to deliver this result. And if you don't, you know, it's not going to end well. And usually, you know, you kind of project forward and you're like, oh, geez, we're going to have to build like a million dollars of revenue. And in our first you know, three months, we're at, you know, $500 of revenue a week or mm-hmm. something like that. And you're just like, oh my God, there's this huge thing ahead of me that I've got to, that I got to go and solve. And that's really daunting and it can definitely psych you out. But I guess over time, you know, then we've moved into a phase where it was all about like sort of marketing and things like that. Then into a phase where it was more about like product and, and getting all of the deep technical aspects of the um, of our architecture right, and then uh, over time more towards getting the technical aspects of running an organisation well. So getting the people right and the systems that are running those people right. So yeah, there's been a whole stage of different challenges along the way, and definitely as a as a founder and as a CEO, one of the hardest things to do is to be able to introspect on yourself, identify where your weaknesses are and then go and address them or, or fix them.
1: And what about your current working hours? Is there a bit of flexibility in terms of your hours and do you get much free time to do other things like sports or you know just watching a bit of Netflix?
0: So I think there's kind of this theory and there's practice and then there's kind of something that sits in between, mm-hmm. um, you know, the theory and the practice. So Definitely in the early days of starting the company, it was like, it was pretty much always on, at least in terms of where your mind is at. You know, even if you do take the weekends off, frankly, you may as well be in the office because your mind is pretty much all being consumed by, um, by hitting goals inside your company. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely a danger that most founders have, which is that they're just always on, even if they're sitting on a beach in Bali trying to take a weekend off or something, they're basically still working in their mind. And that kind of doesn't achieve what it's meant to achieve in terms of resting your mind and, and allowing you to think clearly. Where we are now with Air Tosca, I've got a really awesome management team around me that works beside me and works really hard to deliver on our goals. And so I definitely get at least, you know, Saturdays completely off. And that's really, really good. But again, it comes down to like actually having the discipline to treat things outside of work as your job as well. And for me, I have to try and proactively put aside time to do my job as being a husband, do my job as being a son. Mm -hmm. I'm doing my job as, you know, looking after my dog and and treat them with the same respect that you treat your your day job. And that's definitely challenging.
1: Now, it seems as though you tackle stress management through some form of adrenaline filled sports like go-karting and rock climbing and snowboarding. Do you feel like you're just naturally a energetic person? And that's a great way for you to get into that stress relieved environment.
0: Yeah, I think um, what what is good. I was kind of mentioning about this idea of like treating other things that you do in life as as a job, mm-hmm. and I think that one of the things you need to be, uh, especially when you're when you're starting to scale a business, is the number one thing you need to do for your CEO job is to have like clarity of thought and be really clear on what you want. And really clear about where your standards are and be really clear about how you give direction and receive feedback and so what i try to do is is proactively take some time out of uh, the office where my mind can actually go somewhere else and so i found things like rock climbing things like karting and snowboarding they're all like things where you're kind of forced to think about something else <laughs> because if you don't it's probably gonna hurt yep um, and so that's been really useful uh, really useful for me
1: and you've also deleted facebook and twitter was it a recent strategy that you've implemented or was this a, a long ago decision?
0: Yeah, so I started getting really frustrated with like how I was spending my time at the end of last year um, in, in sort of December. And actually, I was really fortunate that we passed a really big company milestone in early January this year. And I was able to take a couple of weeks off in January. And I spent that time actually like trying to reset myself a little bit and trying to just do things a little bit better. And so You know, some of the things that I did was I upgraded my email client to a thing called Superhuman, and that was super, super useful in making getting through my inbox much faster. Mm -hmm. As as I mentioned, uh, as you mentioned, I deleted Facebook and Twitter apps because I just found myself constantly checking the notifications and then started realizing like, I don't really Care that much about the vast majority of these notifications? So if I just delete the apps, I can always grab it on the website if I want to. But like, yep. there's no need to have these red bubbles looking at me every day. And the, the other thing I did is um, I downloaded this app called Pocket, which I think is really good. Yep. And basically, what I do now is instead of getting distracted by like online content, like articles uh, that get sent to me, you know, people say read this, read that, this is a great blog, etc. Um, find a way to put them aside and read them in your time rather than getting distracted by them you know uh whilst you're trying to do your work
1: so is there anything in terms of facebook and twitter that you do miss and do you still get the urge to you know the habit of checking your phone just to see if there's any notifications
0: i must say with facebook uh facebook in particular (laughs) definitely my facebook had become a little bit of a bit of a cesspool, like none of my friends are really on it anymore and that might show my age or maybe it doesn't, I'm not <laughs> sure. But um, yeah, so like I don't really get meaningful content on Facebook. I'd say that that's all happening in like one-to-one conversations or group conversations. So, you know, I'd still use WhatsApp, you know, to connect with my, with my friends and stuff like that. And Twitter was just, you know, I think if you're not massively engaged with it, it's not going to be a useful, useful product. So no, I don't, I don't really miss Facebook and Twitter at all. Frankly, I'm, you know, getting ready to delete more apps because it's, you know, it can really be a massive distraction and it's kind of like an unspoken thing, but you know, these apps are literally designed to be trying to absorb as much of your attention as they can. So yeah, that, that can't be a very good thing if you're trying to focus on, on achieving an outcome
1: yeah and i I think i've also noticed that as well when you're actually being very productive and in a flow state in a sense but you're still checking your phone even though there isn't a notification it mm. just with that habit that's formed
0: yeah yeah no it can be massively distracting and i also found that for me it was just about getting rid of those red dots so i could feel like you know my desk was clean and then I started realizing, why don't I just get rid of the thing that produces the red dots instead of, uh, instead of trying to you know, clean off the red dots every, every few hours. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I think it was one of the best productivity decisions I've made.
1: Fantastic. That's great to hear. I want to go back to the discussion about Airtasker being injected with some funding. You're active in this startup community, so you must have some visibility of small startups getting some money. Are there common themes in those businesses or do you see businesses who don't succeed and is there a common theme in that
0: so i definitely think like raising money is actually only kind of relevant to like you know a fairly small subset of businesses yep and i think that it definitely between you know 2008 the last gfc and now it's definitely become like super fashionable to raise money and I definitely don't want to sound like one of these, you know, people who goes, "Oh, don't raise money, you know, just do it yourself," because it's not that easy to just start a business from scratch. Mm-hmm. You, know, you do need resources and things. That said, I do think that there is probably an overemphasis on on raising money as either a sign of success or a sign of progress or even a reward. I guess the businesses where it makes sense to raise venture money are things where you're investing upfront into building something that's going to create a lot of value Mm -hmm. um, over a longer period of time. And so I think that's why it makes sense in software businesses where there is a huge upfront fixed cost in building software Mm -hmm. relatively. Mm -hmm. And the, the tail of revenue is much, much longer. And I would characterize that as saying, typically those businesses have high fixed costs upfront, but then they have very high margins later on. So for each marginal customer that you're bringing on, the costs are very low. However, I think that in this recent kind of funding boom in the last 10 years, lots of companies which don't, don't really exhibit that sort of investment profile are still getting funded. And I think that's actually a little bit concerning because it means that businesses which you know are showing a lot of losses upfront aren't really structured such that they're going to make high margins later. It might actually just be that they're, they're losing a lot of money now, and they're also going to lose a lot of money later. <laughs> it's not really a, a sign of that. So I think that the type of business is one thing that would reflect whether you're going to be successful in, in, in raising funds. And I think, yeah, before you raise funds, you know, it's wise to kind of think about what your investment profile looks like and And whether funding is actually suitable for that. For example, if you're in like the restaurant business, it doesn't really make any sense to raise a bunch of equity funds up front because the margins later on are not going to be much better than the margins up front. The other thing I would say that really affects, you know, your ability to raise money would be the team and the experience of the team. So, you know, one of the great things about having a more mature startup ecosystem in Australia now is that there are lots of people who are coming out of companies, whether that's you know, coming out of Atlassian, coming out of Airtask, or mm-hmm. coming out of Canva or any of these kinds of companies. Um, you've got people who have actually seen, you know, learned mistakes or learned from their mistakes in bigger organizations. And I think those people, are, are you know, it's great because they're able to raise money more easily. And that's probably the right thing because they're, they're more sure bets.
1: Yeah, and I think we've definitely seen the funding issue and scenario recently with WeWork and how that just came tumbling down in terms of the share market value and actual business model.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because I think, you know, one of the things that makes, you know, in the early, you know, say, first few years of, say, Facebook, they were burning lots of money and they were growing super fast. And I think one thing that WeWork also did is they were burning tons of money and growing really fast but the big difference there is that with Facebook the costs the the investment profile was they were investing money into a machine which produced a lot of revenue uh, on a long tail and so all the money was going into investing into this machine you know the Facebook platform and once they had sort of broken even after you know five or six years of, of business they had explosive revenue and and profit being generated Whereas if you look at something like WeWork where was all the money being invested it was being invested into sales and marketing mm-hmm. and it was being invested into like real estate infrastructure and so when you look at that no matter how big you get you're always going to have those costs and they're just going to grow and grow and grow as the as the company grows and so i think that even though sort of WeWork and Facebook at a surface level looked similar in the first you know 6 or 7 years yep. you know you can totally tell that that wasn't going to be how it played out in the long run
1: now you're also a co-founder of a co-working space called Tankstream Labs, uh, Sydney-based. Are you able to kind of let the audience know what Tankstream Labs is all about? And our discussion about WeWork and their strategy, is there something to learn in regards to that venture of yours?
0: Yeah, so I guess uh, in the early days of Airtasker, one of the things we were really fortunate was that one of our investors owned the building that our previous company was in. And so when he invested into Airtasker, uh, one of the things he said to us is, "Oh, why don't you just take a little bit of space in my building?" He'd recently just lost a tenant from his building, so he had this whole floor which would have fit about 100, you know, 50 people or something. And he goes, "Oh, you can just have you know six or eight desks in the corner there, mm-hmm. whilst we go and find a tenant." And so what happened is that you know we would have meetings with all these different people in the startup ecosystem, and they'd all be like. Oh my God, like how cool is it that you've got this office in the city and, you know, you're just paying, you know, a small amount of, of rent, even though you've got this big space. And so basically we just started, you know, say, Hey, if you want to sit over there, you can just like pay for your desk. And so, you know, back then, I guess we work and all that weren't really famous yet. And, you know, there were things like Regus and stuff like that, but this was definitely just like a very bread and butter thing for startup entrepreneurs to come and hang out at a desk in the city. And, um, so that kind of took off like crazy. And by the end of the year, we'd filled up the whole floor and we're like, oh my God, like even without trying, we've just built this business, which, you know, at the time we were really struggling with air Tasker. <laughs> And so it was like, dang, this yep. is like a way easier business than Airtasker." <laughs> and, uh, so that, that sort of filled up and, and took off pretty well. And, and now we've sort of got about eight floors, I think, um, okay, of, wow. co-working space. I think it's around 400 uh, companies are in uh, Tankstream Labs. It's in um, where we've got offices in Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, and Melbourne. So there's all different uh, co-working spaces around. I guess our learning there was um, that we didn't add frills. Um, so we really focused on the startup tech sector. And we were like, what do the people want who are starting real businesses? What, what do they want? And it was really, that they just wanted the desk space. They just wanted fast internet. And that was it. And then they wanted to hang out with a community of other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And so rather than sort of having free beer on tap and doing all of these kind of like you know, crazy big uh, things like Rework was doing, we, we actually kept the costs pretty low and we're able to pass that costs on to the entrepreneurs. And yeah, it's, been, uh, it's really been a really, really great journey.
1: Yeah. And as, as great as drinking on the job is, it isn't necessarily the most productive way to be in a co-working space and doing your work.
0: Oh, definitely i mean i went to um a we work in london a few months ago and they had a like a um, a haitian percussion band in the um in the the working area like playing music mm-hmm. while people were sort of like you know uh, pouring themselves beers and this was like at 11 o'clock on a monday morning and i was like yeah i think it's a uh, pretty hard to uh to start a start a startup in that kind of uh environment but you know like uh, i think that's a bit of a probably an over cliche if we work, but yeah, at at Tankstream Labs, we definitely took the opposite approach, which was just the basics. And then that actually kind of self-filtered that only, you know, people who were really serious about starting a technology company uh, would find themselves in a Tankstream Labs uh, desk. And so it's a good way to build the network.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. I want to touch on a recent topic and that is the coronavirus. How has it affected Airtasker because I know that you are a human interaction service. So can you explain that recent interaction? Yes,
0: yeah, so it's interesting because when you look at it at a helicopter view, Airtasker is definitely a network effect business. We are building a, a community uh, of people who do work together. But one of the things about Airtasker is that mainly it's about one-to-one, like a series of one-to-one interactions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having a plumber over at your house, or having an electrician or a gardener or a cleaner. And so it's actually not like a, multi, a multi-node a multi network being built in any one space. And so I'd actually imagine most of the impact for things like coronavirus, you know, in terms of networking anyway, would actually be more around public transport, restaurants, you know, these places where like lots of people are meeting together in a very condensed space. And, you know, and of course, also coronavirus is going to have a big impact on things that obviously anything to do with business in China or or tourism is, is, um, I imagine, going to be uh, feeling the impacts of, of coronavirus for autos we haven't felt any of those impacts yet and you know growth is actually looking pretty good uh, already into the new year so mm-hmm. we haven't felt that yet but i do definitely think that you know if there's an economic recession everyone's probably going to feel it a little bit but certainly there doesn't seem to be any uh, specific effects uh, specific to airtasca i would say that you know the vast majority of the services on the Airtasker platform aren't really like discretionary services a lot of them are services that Uh, people really need either to get by in their business or to get by at home. So, you know, whether it's cleaning, whether it's a plumber with very specialist skills, whether it's an electrician with uh, very specialist skills, they're not really discretionary. You know, if if something in your house is broken, you need it fixed. So yeah, we haven't seen any uh, drop-off happening because of coronavirus, but we're certainly keeping an eye on it.
1: Yeah, and that's great to hear as well. And fingers crossed that doesn't come full force into the economy. For sure. Tim, we're just running out of time and... Before I end the conversation, just wanted to ask a, a question that's a bit more interesting and a bit more fun. What are your predictions this year on the F1 in terms of top five?
0: Oh, geez. Uh, so I definitely think that Mercedes is looking, you know, like way ahead of the pack, which is um, a bit disappointing, to be honest, because, uh, you know, it's been a Mercedes train for the last six or seven years. Mm-hmm. But um they have, you know, bringing innovation to those cars that other teams aren't even thinking about yet because they're just trying to work on the basics. But I, I've noticed Mercedes bought, you know, like a a whole new dimension to um, steering, yep. which is crazy. Yep. Like they've they've done that stuff. So that that's really um, pretty scary uh, stuff. The other one that looks good, I think, is the Scuderia Toro Rosso team is now the Alpha Tori team, and, and they look really quick mm-hmm. uh, for a for a team which doesn't have too much funding. So, yeah. Wish you the best of those guys that'd be awesome if you know one of these smaller teams can kick some butt of mercedes
1: yeah and i was watching the video of the steering introduction and the conversation that was going through all the teams was how the hell is mercedes getting this done or introducing this mechanism so that that's a the fact that they're actually still pushing innovation while being at the top is an incredible achievement
0: for sure. I mean, it's like in any, uh, you know, high performing company, it's just wonderful to see when people are performing so well, you know, they can go to that next level even again. So yeah, be uh, it's great when you have a company that's humming that well, like the Mercedes team.
1: Okay. Tim, thank you very much for being part of launch week. It has been a pleasure to have you on
0: our show. Thanks so much, Tommy. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Have a great day.
1: There you have it guys. Thank you for tuning into the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast with me, your host, Tommy Bowie. If you like what you've heard today, please make sure you subscribe to our show and share this podcast with your friends. Leave us a review so that we can take on your comments, grow with you as a channel and keep providing you quality, stress-free content. If you have a story to tell or just want to say hi, drop me an email on hello at I'll catch you all on the next episode.